0: We fought him in court, uh, we have the law on our side, and you know, we are a nation of laws. Used to be. So if you take your issue to court and lose, uh, then you need to, to to man up and deal with it and not be a spoiled brat.
1: Donald Trump, not be a spoiled brat? What are the chances of that? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something right Still isn't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right
2: Here I am, stuck in the middle with you I am
1: From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is The broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California, on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon, on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN. In Palinville, New York on WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFC. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. For another thrilling edition of the Bradcast, which we hope uh, helps to make you and me moderately smarter each and every day.
2: At least that's the goal.
1: Yeah, wish us luck. <laughs> uh, hey, here's a shock, Desiree. Okay. I'm changing the order of the show at the very last minute. Oh, goody. I'm throwing out a whole bunch of stuff that was really good. I'm throwing out the best stuff, basically. Oh, good. That's So we're just going to be stuck with whatever's left. All and right. that is, of course, thanks to the... <laughs> the breaking news just before airtime. So uh, please adjust accordingly. (laughs) I had hoped to open with some stuff from the COP26 uh, climate conference by way of uh, teasing your latest green news report that's coming up later this hour, no matter what. I think. But <laughs> I'm going to try to uh, move that uh, stuff to a bit later. Uh, so consider your GNR now teased All for right. the moment. Well, teased. Uh, as, we get, as we get uh, right to the accountability stuff that is moving very quickly these days and very quickly even just today. Uh, ironically enough, by the way, in my opinion, thanks to a huge assist from Republican Liz Cheney. I think her influence on the House Select Committee uh, looking into the January 6th attack on the Capitol has actually helped the Democratic Party in this country to reassert itself at least a little. And the House Committee is doing that quite a bit, uh, even as the GOP seems ready to either crumble itself into oblivion or to violently grab the reins of power through horrifically recognizable authoritarian tactics. I think we'll find out uh, which of those two options uh, are going to happen. Choose
2: your adventure. uh,
1: Yeah, no kidding. But that's just one of the reasons uh, that the... January 6th select committee right now in the U.S. House, I see as so very important right now. Not only are they getting closer and closer to the disgraced former president himself as they sort of work their way up the food chain and their probe of the Trump based Trump incited, I should say, Trump incited attack on the U.S. Capitol and Donald Trump's personal criminal culpability in it, the uh, committee also now appears to be getting there from virtually every direction. As I read, everything that's going on, um, sort of, all at the same time, from this very busy select committee. Seems to me that they are leaving Trump no way out. At least that's what it seems to me. So let's uh, start here. The House Select Committee investigating January 6th is interested in gathering information from at least five members of former Vice President Mike Pence's inner circle. That, according to an exclusive last night from CNN, among them is Pence's former National Security Advisor, Keith Kellogg who was subpoenaed by the committee on Tuesday and was with former President Donald Trump most of the day on January 6th, as uh, the then president's supporters breached the Capitol on the day of the joint session of Congress, certifying Joe Biden's electoral victory. Multiple sources... Tell CNN that some individuals close to Mike Pence may be willing, either voluntarily or under the guise of a friendly subpoena, to provide critical information on how Trump and his allies tried to pressure the former vice president to overturn the results of the 2020 election. Let me help you out, CNN. Um, How Trump and his allies tried to pressure the former president to steal the 2020 election on Trump's behalf. Now, in other words, um, some of these uh, uh, individuals close to Pence do not want to be seen as voluntarily giving information to the committee. But, hey, if you subpoena me, I'll have no choice but to talk to you and share documents with you. Right. A friendly subpoena. I see. I'm not going to give it to you. I, I don't want it to look bad that I'm just turning these documents over to you.
2: you got to make it look good for but the go people ahead that I'm trying me. to get a job yeah. from later
1: on. I'm not going to pull a Steve Bannon here. I will answer your uh, your subpoena. Now, according to sources familiar with the discussions, some Pence aides are proving more willing to engage with the committee than has previously been made public. Chairman Benny Thompson, A Democrat of Mississippi did confirm to CNN that the committee was in the process of reaching out to Pence associates. Thompson did not reveal the names of any of the people the committee has been in contact with or could reach out to. But sources tell CNN that the list consists of several people who are very close to Pence, including his former chief counsel, Greg Jacob, and former chief of staff, Mark Short, also of potential interest to the committee uh, are Pence's previous Chief of Staff, Nick Ayers, former Legislative Affairs Director Chris Hodgson, Political Advisor Marty Opst, and former Special Assistant Zach Bauer. In addition, former Pence Press Secretary and Trump Communications aide, Elisa Farah, who left the administration in early December, she has voluntarily met with at least Republicans, on the House Select Committee and has provided information. So Liz Cheney noted, uh, I think it was last week, that the committee has already interviewed at least 150 people in their just over 100 days of existence. So that is a lot of information that they're gathering. And that information presumably is does not include those people who have the uh Several dozen, I think, at this point who have been subpoenaed. Of course, it's fair to guess that some, perhaps many that worked with Mike Pence and were loyal to him did not take kindly to Trump's attacks on the vice president himself and the MAGA mob's subsequent calls on January 6th to hang Mike Pence as they broke into the Capitol on January 6th. Some of these folks may be more than willing to sing to the committee about what happened that day and in its run up, at least if you give them a friendly subpoena. CNN, however, notes the fraught what they call the fraught political path that Mike Pence is now on. The committee's work presents a significant political challenge to the former vice president as he attempts to chart a path separate from Donald Trump, raising money and building out a team ahead of a possible White House run of his own in 2024. Good luck with that, Mr. Pence. (laughs) Uh, He has. uh, While Pence has defended his refusal to delay the counting of the electoral votes uh, on January 6th, as Trump had insisted in his attempt to steal the election, people close to Pence have acknowledged the peril in engaging too overtly with the committee. So maybe a friendly subpoena, let's say, for Mike Pence. Nonetheless, Pence has repeatedly affirmed his decision to certify the electoral count since leaving office, saying that his actions were constitutional. He has even called the effort to overturn the 2020 election results, quote, un-American. Thank you, Mike Pence. Uh, And I like I love this. When asked at an event in Iowa last week, uh, who told you to buck President Trump's plan on January 6th, Pence replied bluntly, James Madison.
2: Oh, okay, good for him.
1: Good answer. Uh, but yes, despite Pence's precarious path toward a potential run of his own uh, for for the president, again, good luck there, Chief. Uh, this means that the committee has already subpoenaed many of Trump's own senior advisors and confidants who are with him in the White House on January sixth, top members. Of his campaign, who were plotting at the Willard Hotel near nearby the White House, top advisors of his, like Steve Bannon, and at least one member of Pence's top staff, uh, and uh, likely more in the days ahead. The walls are closing in on the former president. Make no mistake. On Tuesday afternoon, a federal judge, as you know, denied Trump's attempts to stay a decision. By that federal judge in his claim of executive privilege in order to stop the release of more than 600 pages of January 6 related White House documents from the National Archives, that U.S. District Court Judge Tanya Chutkin denied his request for a stay before she had made her decision in the case. On Wednesday, then, she made her decision in the case. She denied Trump's motion to block the release of the documents scheduled for Friday noting that it is, quote, the combined will of both the legislative and executive branch that these documents be released. Everyone agrees. Both the legislative and the executive branches agree. It's only Donald Trump who does not, who actually has no power here. She added famously, presidents are not kings and plaintiff is not president. Which, you know, is going to leave a mark for all of eternity on that uh, broken man's twisted and hobbled ego. And then by Wednesday night, shortly after we got off air, Judge Chutkin also flatly denied Trump's subsequent emergency motion for an injunction pending his appeal. He's going to appeal her decision, so he wants an injunction to prevent the documents from being uh, released by the National Archives on Friday. In her Wednesday night order denying that emergency request for an injunction, Chutkin said, "Quote, despite the fact that he requests essentially the same relief, as in his original preliminary injunction motion, Trump has not advanced any new facts or arguments that, pers- that persuade the court to reconsider its own decision from one day earlier.
2: So just saying, I wanna, is not good enough?
1: Right. Uh, Please, pretty please. I think it was essentially the pretty please motion.
2: (laughs) Okay. The
1: uh, judge noted that Trump has already filed notice of an appeal to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit and that he is, quote, therefore free to petition that court for relief before Friday. She concluded this court will not effectively ignore its own reasoning in denying injunctive relief in the first place. To grant injunctive relief now. So that was it. Three times, three denials from uh, Judge Chutkin uh, as this has all moved very quickly over the past three days uh, with the release of the documents uh, upcoming, likely very damaging for Donald Trump, clearly, or he would not be working so hard to stop their release. Um, Or. He's hoping that one of the Court of Appeals, uh, whether it's the D.C. Circuit Court, whether it's the Supreme Court, will somehow put a break on all of this, either temporarily or permanently, but at least temporarily to hear Trump's arguments, which Judge Chutkin at least seems to have pretty thoroughly and preemptively destroyed. And by the way, those documents, according to committee chair Benny Thompson, include stuff, not just documents But actual things like videotape, including, as uh, Thompson uh, reports, there were, I guess, five additional takes of that video that Trump eventually put out on January 6th, where he was sort of kind of telling his supporters to go home on January 6th. I love you, but go home. Right. That one. Apparently, he did that five other times. There were five previous takes That someone at the White House felt were not acceptable for some reason. And yes, those have been archived and they are part of this archive that is supposed to be that has been subpoenaed from the National Archives. What did Donald Trump say in those five takes? Well, I'd like to I'd like to find out. And apparently so with the committee. There's also reportedly a draft of an executive order of some type that had something to do with the uh, election results that was also in those uh, in those subpoenaed documents. That order, that executive order, whatever it was, was never issued. But what was it? What was he planning exactly? That's what we all want to know, and especially right now, what the House Select Committee very much wants to know. But Judge Chutkin found what pretty much everyone else other than Team Trump up till now already seems to have understood, at least based on what little case law there actually is regarding executive privilege. And that is that it's up to the sitting president, not a former one who no longer has any magical powers to determine which presidential records are actually covered by executive privilege. And the sitting president, Joe Biden, has, in fact, decided the events of January 6th are so important for the American people to understand that he is not willing to grant Trump's request to privilege those documents and to block them from release to the committee and then hopefully, by the way, to the public, which actually owns those documents. They are not Donald Trump's documents, unlike his tax returns. These are owned by the American people under the Presidential Records Act. Of course, nobody knows for sure what the U.S. Supreme Court will do when they eventually get this case in some fashion, and you can bet your bottom dollar that they will. Uh, Nobody knows what they're going to do because the court has been packed by, uh, you know, Trump appointees, three of his own appointees, and the whole majority has been stolen on behalf of the Republicans. And they've certainly already shown themselves more than willing to overturn precedent whenever they feel like it. But there is not a lot of case law regarding executive privilege because it isn't actually a thing. At least not in American law. It's more of a courtesy that has been extended by courts over the years to presidents in the name of national security or the notion that a president must be able to deliberate in private on certain matters without having those records uh, released to uh, the American public right away, that he can't be otherwise distracted by turning over reams of documents to Congress, etc., so it's not really a thing. It's a thing that, uh, uh, that that you know the courts have sort of figured out along the way.
2: It's one of those norms that we all kind of Correct. take for granted but isn't actually written into any particular Correct. law Correct. or statute.
1: Now, uh, legal analyst and Supreme Court biographer Joan Biskupic reports today that past Supreme Court decisions involving the assertion of executive privilege Uh, to keep documents confidential, suggests that Trump has a very weak case here, even if it's heard by this right-wing court. The Supreme Court declared in a 1977 touchstone decision, she says, involving former President Richard Nixon. And by the way, most of the uh, cases and the case law, I guess, concerning executive privilege come out of Richard Nixon and the Watergate uh, issues. So they decided, they declared, quote, the privilege, executive privilege, is not for the benefit of the president as an individual, but for the benefit of the republic. Mm, Okay. unquote. More recently, the justices last year, she says, expressed concerns that congressional demands for presidential documents could arise from, quote, impermissible purposes unquote, such as to harass a president. You remember that Trump used to claim, oh, this is presidential harassment. Yeah. Which, by the way, is also not a thing. But that's what he claimed. And uh, the Supreme Court said, well, there is a possibility that you could be asking for documents for, quote, impermissible purposes to basically interfere with the president's official duties. In this new case, however, uh, Biscupic, Biscupic? I don't know. Whatever. Joan reports uh, any possible uh, distraction from duties dissolves because Donald Trump is no longer in office. So even if you want to make the claim that you are harassing the president, well, he's no longer the president and any harassment would not keep him from his official duties. As Judge Chutkin wrote in her 39 page opinion, quote, at bottom, this is a dispute Between a former and incumbent president and the Supreme Court has already made clear, she writes, that in such circumstances, the incumbent's view is accorded greater weight. And right now, the incumbent says, release the documents. We got no problem with that. The Supreme Court scaffolding for the current dispute, she writes, dates back to 1977 when Nixon, three years removed from office, challenged the Presidential Recordings and Materials Preservation Act in his effort to shield Watergate tape recordings and documents. Chutkin noted in her opinion that Nixon had said he planned to destroy the tapes and that since the entire Nixon ordeal, Congress has now adopted the Presidential Records Act, which changed the ownership of presidential files from private files, To public files. Yes, apparently, before the Presidential Records Act, anything that the president did in office belonged to him, not to the public. That is no longer the case as of the Presidential Record Act of 1975. So the House committee is seeking those archived Trump files under the Presidential Records Act because those belong to the people, not to the former president.
2: And that is in the law.
1: And, in fact, it was confirmed in 1977 at the Supreme Court by a 7-2 vote. Nixon lost that challenge. In an earlier case, she writes, the 1974 uh, US v. Nixon, the court had said the privilege, the executive privilege, is not absolute, as it required Nixon, even while still president at the time, to turn over the Watergate tapes for a criminal investigation. So you can't use the executive privilege to hide a crime, essentially, is what the Supreme Court decided. And Nixon resigned soon thereafter. In the 77 dispute, uh, the justices said a former president can, even after leaving office, assert executive privilege. Yet the court emphasized a significant condition relevant to the Trump case. Quote, at the same time, they noted The fact that neither President Ford nor President Carter supports appellants claim detracts from the weight of his contention that the act impermissibly intrudes into the executive function and the needs of the executive branch, according to Justice Brennan at the time. In other words, the fact that neither President Ford nor President Carter said that this would uh, be a problem for us, a problem for the executive branch, uh, that weighs against the notion that a former president has any kind of executive privilege. Uh, Brennan wrote, it must be presumed that the incumbent president is vitally concerned with and in the best position to assess the present and future needs of the executive branch and to support invocation of the privilege accordingly. In this case, this president did not invoke Uh, privilege accordingly. He said, nope, we've looked at this and none of this is going to bother us. You can go ahead and release it. It's not going to keep us from doing our job here at the White House. Just as the Supreme Court in 1977 found that Nixon's desire to keep and destroy the tapes was surpassed by a broader governmental interest, remember he lost that case in a 7-2 decision, Judge Chutkin's decision stressed that presumption of a privilege can be overcome by legislative or judicial needs. So he can try to issue that privilege. The president, the sitting president, could even issue that privilege. But if the legislature or the judiciary needs those documents, again, in a criminal case, for example, then even then the executive privilege would not uh, uh, be uh, honored honored by the by the courts.
2: Hmm.
1: So part of the Nixon rulings were that the privilege can't be used to hide evidence of a crime, as I as I understand it. And there are a potential slew of crimes that are in question here. But constitutional law experts have said that anything the appellate courts or the Supreme Court say about the case could have huge consequences right now because the courts have said so little about the issue to date. It almost all dates back uh, to those Nixon cases, irrespective of past Supreme Court action on presidential powers, Chutkin As she chronicled Trump's false election claims in her ruling, recalled the strained relations between the former president and the U.S. Supreme Court itself. She observed that the justices had spurned Trump's voter fraud arguments in 2020. She wrote the U.S. Supreme Court also denied numerous emergency applications aimed at overturning the results. In response, plaintiff tweeted that the court was, quote, totally incompetent and weak on the massive election fraud that took place in the 2020 presidential election. So, yes, we we do know that even this stolen US Supreme Court with 3 justices packed onto it by Donald Trump, even they are capable when they feel like it of denying Donald Trump. Will they? When this case inevitably gets up to the court to be heard in a full hearing or on the shadow docket where they just decide on an emergency basis uh, whether to take the case or whether to, you know, overturn, you know, what the lower courts have said. Nobody knows. And before it even gets to the high court, it's got to go through the D.C. Court of Appeals, at least briefly, which just before airtime, brings us to that breaking news because the UC, uh, the DC Court of Appeals has now put the brakes temporarily on this case and it was done by a panel of 3 judges all 3 of whom are democratic Appointees on the D.C. Court of Appeals on Thursday afternoon. From Washington Post's uh, breaking coverage here, a federal appeals court on Thursday has blocked the imminent release of records of former President Donald Trump's White House calls and activities related to the January 6th Capitol attack after a lower court, that's Judge Chutkin, found that President Biden can waive his pre- predecessor's claims to executive privilege. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit, however, granted an emergency injunction while it considers Trump's request to hold off any release pending appeal. And they fast-tracked oral arguments for a hearing on November 30. So the court just bought Donald Trump two and a half weeks. These documents will not be released on Friday, but two and a half weeks from now, they will have a hearing on this entire matter. And that, of course, is the delay, I suspect, one of the delays that Donald Trump was hoping for. In a 15-page emergency motion filed on Thursday, Trump's attorneys asked to keep the documents secret for now and proposed that all sides brief the court by next week on whether to keep them them that way for the weeks or months that an appeal may take to decide. Trump's legal team said the case presented serious, novel questions, new questions about whether a former president can sue a successor to withhold government documents from Congress, and that the institution of the presidency would be irreparably harmed if the documents were released beginning Friday as planned. The And that is the argument that Chutkin rejected just one day earlier in uh, when she rejected a similar emergency motion, writing that the legal question was not even a close call, as she saw it. In her ruling on Tuesday, Chutkin said Trump failed to identify any injury to privacy, property or otherwise that he personally will suffer from the production of records. Attorneys for the House and the Justice Department, representing the National Archives and the Records Administration, they took no position on Trump's request to hold off the uh, release temporarily until the appeals court takes up the case. But they argued against any further delay, agreeing with Chutkin's ruling that the sitting president's judgment and authority—the sitting president's judgment—outweighs uh, a predecessor's. In that Trump's, uh, Trump identified no harm to the presidency that the current president was not best positioned to weigh house general counsel doug letter wrote in a previous argument quote our democratic institutions and a core feature of our democracy the peaceful transfer of power are at stake any delay will seriously hinder the select committee's ability to timely complete a comprehensive investigation and recommend effective remedial legislation. Well, apparently, three appellate court judges on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals feel otherwise. At least for the moment, at least when it comes to the irreparable harm argument, because they seem to have bought it. At least for, at least for the two and a half weeks before they get to the uh, to the hearing on this now. Uh, on um. The, well, the, uh, let me just note, the brief unsigned order here is now a temporary pause in the case. It does not address the underlying legal issues. All we know right now is there is a pause.
2: Oh, so it was not on the merits, I guess.
1: Right. Um, there's a pause until there's a hearing, basically. The order was issued by Judges Patricia Millett, Robert Wilkins, Katanji Brown-Jackson. All three were nominated to the bench by Democratic presidents. And Jackson it was recently uh, appointed by President Biden. So uh, Southpaw, over on the Twitters, a uh, very good uh, attorney.
2: Yes, good at explaining legal stuff.
1: Correct. Uh, has said that basically what the judges have done here is rather than um, hear this ca- rather than uh, put a pause on the case long enough so that they could hear whether there should be a longer pause on the case while the appeal works its way out. Instead, what the judges appear to have done is said, you know what, we're going to go ahead and pause it, but we're only going to pause it for two and a half weeks and we are going to quickly hear this appeal at the end of this month.
2: Oh, so they're kind of accelerating it in a way. They're it kind sounds of like.
1: It's so, if I'm understanding it, they are sort of compressing the entire process. So it sounds like bad news it sounds disappointing and of course it is because it would have been nice to have these uh, documents released on friday but what they're saying is we're not going to hold this any longer than need be we will hold this long enough just to hear the appeal which we are scheduling on an expedited basis in two and a half weeks please send us your uh your motions and your documents uh next week within days And we will hear this thing by the end of the month. So now, I don't know if this is Trump's way out. It is his way to delay, of course. And
2: delay is one of the goals. Correct.
1: But uh, like I say, the word on the Twitters is that the, the judges here are actually good ones. They are not right wing hacks by any stretch. So... If anything, giving Trump here every benefit of the doubt so that he can't claim, which, by the way, he will anyway, but he can't, you know, legitimately claim, oh, three far left Democrat judges didn't even look at our claims. Well, they're going to look at his claims and maybe that will help as all of this works its way up to Donald Trump's Supreme Court. We will see.
2: Establishing the judicial record that he was given every every opportunity to argue his case. To make his case. Right.
1: Yeah. So, you know, the delays, obviously, they are maddening. Uh, but while it's going to continue to take some time, I still believe that Trump has no way out. This committee, uh, the only way out, the only way that I believe that Trump sees his way out is to delay, delay, delay long enough to eventually the Republicans win back the uh, House majority in
2: a year from now there's yeah. a there's
1: well twenty twenty three January twenty twenty three if you can delay until January twenty twenty three. Good luck with that. Good luck with that, not with this committee. I, I I don't think they are going to stand for it. We'll we'll see if I'm right, but I believe Trump still has no way out here. Um but uh as of this afternoon, yes, it's still gonna take a little bit longer to find out whether I'm right or not. <laughs> uh all right, so Hopefully that makes sense. (sighs) Breaking news. Always fun. Let's take a quick break here, uh, because you know what? If you think saving this nation is maddeningly difficult and frustrating, well, just imagine the task of trying to save the entire world, or at least the humanity that is still left in it. That is the task underway right now in Glasgow, Scotland. And well, I'm I'm not sure which is easier at this point: accountability for Donald Trump or saving humanity. But hey, that's the task right now at the UN climate summit, with a few encouraging, surprising uh, surprises, uh, and and a voice of reason from a conservative, a real one. That's straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman.
2: Hey, this is Desi. The Bradcast and the Green News Report survive thanks to you and your support. Please drop by Bradblog.com slash donate today to help us stay independent every day over your public airwaves. That's Bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks.
1: It's not easy being green. Oh, please. <laughs> it seems you blend in with so many other ordinary things. Get over it, Kermit. <laughs> Nothing's easy these days. Not <sighs> well, welcome back to the Bradcast. Bra- Bra- the water yeah, I know. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. <laughs> Oh, Kermit. Oh, so anyway, as promised earlier, uh, Desiree will have uh, the latest from the uh, the crunch time. Yes, the crunch
2: time in? at the COP26 the UN waning Climate Summit. The waning
1: hours of the climate conference in Glasgow. Uh, that'll, uh, it's coming up in a moment, our latest Green News report. As the nations of the world near the end of this gathering to see if they can save us. From ourselves and from the burning of fossil fuels that is destroying us all much faster faster than many scientists had even warned. Is that fair to say? Yes. Uh, you know, for years there were Republicans who would claim, oh, the scientists were completely wrong. Look, they they forecast doom and gloom and nothing has come to pass along those lines. And of well, course they were lying. They were lying. And of
2: course, as uh, many scientists, climate scientists have said, yeah. uncertainty is not our friend. It can go either way, and right now it's going the wrong way, the way we really don't want. And it's going there faster, much faster, than they had initially projected.
1: So we didn't have time in our uh, six-minute report coming up shortly uh, to play this comment, but I thought it was a really good one, from Great Britain's Conservative. Prime Minister, I need to underscore that. This is from their conservative prime minister, Boris Johnson. They're, uh, he's the host, I guess, of this year's conference in Scotland. Uh, we didn't have time to play the, the, this, this full comment from him in the GNR, but I think it is worth sharing uh, quickly here today before we get to the GNR in, in full. Let's, let's play this and we'll talk about it.
0: You cannot now sit on your hands as the world asks you to act, because the world knows what a mess our planet is in. The world has heard leaders from every country, continent, stand here and acknowledge the need for action. And the world will find it absolutely incomprehensible if we fail to deliver that. And the backlash from people will be immense, and it will be long-lasting. And frankly, we will deserve their criticism and their opprobrium. Because we know what needs to be done and we all agree what needs to be done. We just need the courage actually to get on and do it. Here in Glasgow, the world is closer than it has ever been to signalling the beginning of the end of anthropogenic climate change. And it's the greatest gift we can possibly bestow on our children and our grandchildren and generations unborn. And It's now within reach at... COP26, in these final days, we just need to reach out together and grasp it. And so my question to my fellow world leaders this afternoon, as we enter the last hours of COP, is will you help us do that? Will you help us grasp that opportunity, or will you stand in the way?
1: They're going to stand in the way. That's... (laughs) No, I, that's the conservative prime minister making his case. And, uh, you know, it's good case. He's faced a lot of uh, protests outside the conference from Greta Thunberg and a few, I don't know, tens of thousands of friends.
2: <laughs> yes.
1: Calling uh, what's going on inside the conference as little more than blah, blah, blah. But, you know, to hear the conservative prime minister make the case like that, to take action on climate change, can you even imagine some, someone from our supposedly conservative party in this country, the Republicans, who are no longer in any real definition of the word actually conservative, can you imagine any of them speaking like that? Can you imagine any of them even knowing the word opprobrium, to be frank? I mean, can you imagine Mitch McConnell or hell, even a a conservative Democrat like Joe Manchin from Coal State, West Virginia? Can you imagine him ever uttering anything like that? That is just how far off the rails we have gone in this country when the conservative prime minister Uh, of Great Britain sounds you know almost to the left of just about anyone any Democrat in Congress at this point but you know while the Republicans in America are no longer anything that resembles a legitimate governing party much less a conservative one I just wanted to I was reminded again uh, that uh, you know in Great Britain none of this is new their conservative party has not been insane, for the most part, for many years in a row now, going all the way back to, yes, Margaret Thatcher. And there's all kinds of reasons. not like anything that Margaret Thatcher might have done or most of what Margaret Thatcher had done. But here is then-Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher, the conservative Iron Lady, back in, I think this was 1989.
2: Yes, this was... Almost to the day, thirty-two years ago.
1: Thirty-two years ago, yeah. This week at the UN, calling for the world, uh, you know, again, not unlike uh, Bojo there, calling on the world to make the effort to curb man-made CFCs that were at the time eating away at the protective ozone layer of our of our atmosphere, and she was successful. In this push, successful uh, in this was part of the Montreal Protocols. Yes, part of the Montreal
2: Protocol Treaty negotiations, which Ronald Reagan, the great Republican president, even
1: he was even he
2: was in favor of this. They worked together and pushed the rest of the world to sign the Montreal Protocol, which was actually the very first ever global climate treaty. Here
1: here was Margaret Thatcher, 1989, uh, November 9, 1989, uh, calling for action from the world to save the climate.
2: It is mankind and his activities which are changing the environment of our planet in damaging and dangerous ways. The problem of global climate change is one that affects us all, and action will only be effective if it's taken at the international level. There's no good squabbling over who is responsible or who should pay. Each country has to contribute, and those countries who are industrialized must contribute more to help those who are not. These protocols must be binding, and there must be effective regimes to supervise and monitor their application.
1: Margaret Thatcher from 1989 saying there is no use squabbling <laughs> over no, who's responsible. That's yes, right. Yes, and uh, just to say yeah. it's
2: really important to note that the Montreal Protocol has been wildly successful in it saving worked. the ozone layer. Yes, um, mm-hmm. if it if we had not acted 32 years ago and mm-hmm. uh, phased out these ozone-killing uh, CFCs and eventually we also added HFCs, mm-hmm. then NASA had projected that by about 2030 the ozone would have started melting away and we would have been in a um, in a catastrophe. A catastrophe catastrophe for life on Earth.
1: And... I'm also struck there in in her comments about, uh, never mind who caused it, we all have to pay up, and those of us who caused it the most have to pay the most.
2: (laughs) Can you imagine a Republican ever saying that? I can't
1: imagine a Republican ever saying that, but here we are, 32 years later, and that is the exact same fight that's going on at at, at COP26 right now in Glasgow, Scotland. And has been going on for
2: 26 years as the wealthiest nations who are responsible for causing the climate crisis are holding out and being all chintzy with the developing countries who did not cause the crisis but are suffering first and worst from climate impacts they do not have the capacity to repair and to restore much less lift their people out of poverty while all of this is happening and so that's why it's a huge discussion right now at the UN COP negotiations for both loss and damage to these developing countries and to help them leapfrog over the fossil fuel phase of development so that they can go direct Directly to clean energy, and they can reduce their own emissions because they don't have the capacity to do so without developed countries' assistance.
1: They didn't do it. They shouldn't be uh, forced essentially to sacrifice. Yeah. We did it. The rich countries did it. The wealthy countries, the U.S., China, uh, Russia, Brazil—take your pick—who uh, have been, you know, for decades destroying the environment. We have the greatest responsibility to do something about it and uh, it's to really take care of fair. those countries. Yes. And, and it's just it's in in one sense, it's enlightening. And in another sense, it's maddening that 32 years later, we're still having the same conversation about really the same thing. It's not CFCs. Now it's greenhouse gases. But it's the same thing. Yes. And yes, as you noted, uh, Des, even folks like Ronald Reagan and George Bush Sr. supported the Montreal Protocols back at the time. They came on board to save the planet, and it worked. Well, we are now a very long way from 1989, it seems, uh, in more ways than one, uh, in more ways than I, I, I wish to or, frankly, have time to detail today. But boy, if you compare the you know, for all the complaints that I've got about conservatives in Great Britain, I would trade them in a second for uh, what uh, suffices Has of the... for the conservative party in this country at this point. So anyway, I thought that an actual reminder of what actual conservatives actually sound like both then and now. With Margaret Thatcher then, Boris Johnson now, uh, which are nothing like the far-right authoritarian loons that now pretend to be conservative in this country, that the media should stop describing as conservatives because they are not. Anyway, I thought that that might be instructive, somehow. As a reminder, just in case you have lost track of how wildly, insanely incredibly far off track, the American Republican Party has now gone in this nation, and that they've sort of dragged uh, in their wake the Democratic Party sort of over to the right along with them, and of course the cost that we all may end up paying for it. Actually, the cost that we are already paying for it. Quick break, and we're back with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report. That's next, right here on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. So I was speaking, I was emailing back and forth today with a a, a friend, a longtime uh, listener to the broadcast Mm -hmm. and uh, a big uh, uh, green person. I don't know how to put environmentalist (laughs) uh, who's very concerned about uh, all of this and and climate change. And I asked him how he thought the uh, COP26 was going. And he said, well, he was kind of with Greta Thunberg on this, that not nearly enough action is happening, that a lot of this is blah, 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 as she put it. And I said, you know what? I I think Greta is absolutely right. At the same time, we need action, and that you know Greta is sort of right on the edge there of doomism. How you know <laughs> it's too late to do anything at this point because we've screwed it all up. She may be right, but the fact is we've got to do something about it, whether she is right or not. So I'm hoping that the pressure she is bringing outside of the conference is being heard by the folks inside the conference to get something done, to get started. And I think it is working.
2: I believe that it is working, and I believe that the youth climate activists have been absolutely correct, that this conference is not going fast enough Mm -hmm. or far enough, and world leaders are failing them. They are absolutely failing them. On the other hand, this kind of stuff, this is a very difficult undertaking to remake the whole of human civilization in a few years in order to avoid this catastrophe that is looming. So they're both right. Everybody's got to keep working toward and pushing each other toward working faster.
1: Which brings us to our latest Green News report. You cannot now sit on your hands
0: as the world asks you to act because the world knows what a mess our planet is in.
2: Crunch time for negotiations at COP26 UN Climate Summit.
0: Now the two largest economies in the world have agreed to work together to raise climate ambition... In this decisive decade.
2: U.S. and China announce landmark collaboration on climate change action. Plus, many nations are under-reporting their greenhouse gas emissions, new analysis finds.
1: All of that under-reporting and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman.
2: And I'm Desi Doyon.
1: Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and... Snarky comment. One of the bill's major provisions includes $47 billion to withstand the devastating impacts of climate change. Okay, that's good. You know what would have been better? Billions of dollars to prevent the devastating impacts of climate change. Yep. This is your Green News Report. This is the equivalent of showing up to a car crash and handing out seatbelts. There you go. You could have used one. Okay, Desi Doyen, they got a whole lot to get done. There's a whole lot of countries that have to agree. And they don't have much time left.
2: <laughs> no, they do not. It is crunch time in the final days of the COP26 UN Climate Summit in Glasgow, Scotland, with negotiators wrangling over technical mechanisms and language to shift the Global Paris Climate Agreement from ambition to implementation. A notable development an official draft agreement released on Wednesday pushes countries to set more aggressive goals sooner for cutting their emissions and for the first time ever. It formally calls for phasing out the use of coal and ending government subsidies for fossil fuels. What?
1: They said that out loud? Coal and fossil fuels? What? For the first time ever. Yep. Now, all
2: nations must approve the text so it could change, but just putting the words into an official UN document establishes a floor for negotiations going
1: forward. Just to give you an idea of how low the bar is. Is
2: <laughs> And it does matter, because as Axios put it in an understatement, quote, the agreement that emerges from Glasgow will help determine what future people will experience for the next several decades. Oh, is that all? A new scientific analysis by the Washington Post finds that countries are already off course in meeting their Paris goals and identifies an enormous gap between what nations declare their emissions to be versus the greenhouse gases that they are actually emitting into the atmosphere. The U.N. attributes that partly to lack of consistent global standards for measuring and reporting, and those are now under negotiation to include verification to match countries' claims to the actual global numbers.
1: So, to keep them from lying.
2: Exactly. And new projections by monitoring firm Climate Action Tracker calculate that countries' short-term plans for this decade allow them to emit roughly twice as much in 2030 than would be consistent with meeting the 1.5 degrees Celsius aspirational goal under the Paris Agreement. Oh, well, they tried. The new analysis warns that even if governments meet their long-term pledges to cut emissions, unless everyone moves faster in this decade, the world is headed for a catastrophic 2 2.4 2.4 degrees Celsius of warming above pre-industrial levels. Not good. But some encouraging news. Good. The U.S. and China, the two biggest emitters in the world, issued a surprise declaration vowing to work together and to do more to cut their greenhouse gas emissions in this decade. The statement includes an agreement to close the emissions gap and do more to halt deforestation. And China agreed for the first time to address its growing methane emissions. In a press conference on Wednesday, U.S. Special Climate. Envoy John Kerry said that while the U.S. and China have their differences, working together on climate change is imperative.
0: The expression that a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Well, every step matters right now, and we have a long journey ahead of us.
1: I don't understand. Fox News and Republicans have been telling me for two decades that China would never, never agree to work on climate change.
2: Yeah, and they lied. What? Also, six major car makers and more than a hundred companies, countries, states, and cities signed a pledge at COP26 to sell only zero emissions vehicles by 2040 or 2035 in major markets. The deal covers 15% of the global car markets so far, and includes U.S. carmakers Ford and GM, but the U.S., China, and Japan did not sign on.
1: Oh, they will.
2: Finally, a new report finds that here in the U.S., renewable energy is hacking away at fossil fuels' dominance on the U.S. electric grid. Wind and solar energy now make up nearly all new power generation being built in America thanks to rapidly falling prices. It's still not fast enough to meet U.S. climate targets, but renewable energy deployment has quadrupled in the U.S., just over the last 10 years, and the rate of renewable energy deployment is accelerating year over year.
1: We will take what we can get. <laughs> For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyle And this has been your Green News Report.
2: It ain't over yet, it ain't over yet, so move,
1: keep walking, soldier, keep moving. Gotta keep walking.
2: Indeed, gotta keep moving. Don't stop. So, just a quick follow-up. Yep. Uh, we were talking about Greta Thunberg and the climate youth activists mm-hmm. that are going out. They made a, uh, a big announcement on Thursday. Her Fridays for Future movement called for the world to sign a fossil fuel non-proliferation treaty really? as another mechanism to completely end the extraction of fossil fuels and phase out the industry completely. And so far, at least a few countries and a, a big number of non- Non governmental organizations are apparently ready to sign on to this challenge of getting out of fossil fuels. Non
1: proliferation, meaning you're not going to use fuels. You're going to quit fossil fuels altogether. Phase them out. Good luck with that, Greta. Keep up the noise. Uh, We got to keep moving. And uh, boy, I'm glad she's there uh, moving all of us. (laughs) Uh, Thank you very much. Thanks uh, to our producer, Desi Doyen. Thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. We hope we made it worth your while. If you missed any portion of today's heavy lift of a program, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Everything that we do is thanks to listeners like you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves and talk about stuff that you just don't hear all that much over those public airwaves. To help us out, stop by bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you. Drop me an email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. I read them all. I respond to most. I had hoped to share some of them today. But you know, breaking news. <laughs> you can also find me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad blog. I will see you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck world.